it's not even just about making paintings. It's making space to enjoy this part of who I am, whether it's making a garden or making a quilt or painting or cooking or you know, whatever your passion might be. I can't neglect that without neglecting myself. And that, that was a really profound change for me. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys Podcast, and happy free Slurpee Day. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I chat with Fiona Valentine. Fiona is an artist based in Melbourne, Australia, and the mind behind the confident artist and the profitable artist method. While Fiona has been an artist for practically her entire life, she put her creative pursuits on hold while raising her first child in a mud house in Africa without water and electricity, as these pursuits felt too self-indulgent. After recovering her creativity and recognizing the importance of these artistic endeavors, Fiona has since found a passion for helping women recognize and develop their own creativity. Our conversation ranges from misconceptions in the art community, to tips on how artists can appropriately price their work, how creators can discover their niche, and even the book Tiny Wings she's currently working on in collaboration with her daughter. Believe me when I say you'll want to hear the powerful backstory behind that project. With all that in mind, just sit back relax, and get ready for Fiona Valentine's journey with inspiring creativity. All right, so Fiona, welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me. Thanks, Eric. I'm really glad to be here and talking with you and your audience today. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to get into it. So we are here to talk all about turning art into a business, as I'm sure many other things. But I want to start at the beginning. Can you start by explaining where your interest in the arts and painting specifically first began? Well, probably like most of us, you know, we draw and paint as kids. And then we get older and we think, oh, am I any good at this? And usually about nine, we want to have a bit of training or it's easy to conclude that we're just terrible at this. But actually, it's just a lack of skills. So... I was fortunate during high school to have some really good training that helped me feel like, oh, wow, I can do this. I can draw. I can paint. And that was a great foundation. And I I wish everybody was able to have that so that you've at least got the choice. So, yeah, I started Mm -hmm. fairly young with that. I enjoyed drawing and doing a few watercolors. But then I, I didn't really do a whole lot for a long time. So I didn't get serious about pursuing that until my 30s. Gotcha. So you didn't uh, didn't get into it until your 30s or didn't get back into it until your 30s. Yeah, to your point, that's that's really interesting just in regards to what you just said about, I guess, just having those resources and everything available uh, to hone in on your skills and to become a, a better drawer and painter. Because it often makes you wonder how many kids out there, you know, maybe really great painters and drawers under the right tutel, you know, under, under the right teaching and under yeah. the right teachers, but kind of just, you know, disregarded or something like, oh, I'm no good or something and kind of give up on it. But which is sad to think, but um, it almost really makes you wonder. I know. And it's, it's a really helpful thing to just kind of know that most of us draw symbolically and then we get to around nine. And that's often the age where you get interested in a bit more realism in your work. And so if you can get a few skills at that point in your life, it can really help you with the perception, oh, I'm creative, I can draw. I mean, the reality is that all of us mm-hmm. are creative, but only about 50% of people actually think that they are. 
which is sad. And certainly art's not the only realm where creativity is displayed, but art's mm. a great way of affirming to yourself that you've got the potential to develop your creativity. It's often a really accessible way of doing that. And so a few skills on how to make realism work can go a long way in living a long and creative life, however you express that. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And you mentioned it previously before as well that you kind of dabbled in watercolor in the beginning. So what's the typical medium, I guess, you work in? Do you primarily work in watercolor? Do you do acrylic or anything like that? Yeah, I do acrylic and oil as well. Okay. Watercolor I've probably done the most in, and I've also taught a lot of watercolor classes. I've been working on some illustrations of tiny birds and bees. My daughter and I are collaborating on a book at the moment called Tiny Wings that's Mm -hmm. telling the story of our journey with autism. She was diagnosed officially at nine, but we really had been on a nine-year journey of trying to figure out what was going on. And she's in her 20s now. Mm -hmm. So we're just, yeah, writing that book and I've been doing some illustrations for it. And I've done that in watercolour. But I, I do like working in multiple mediums even though as a an art coach I encourage people to focus and choose one because Mm -hmm. when you use more than one you really just you make life difficult for yourself because (laughs) you end up obviously having to do three times the work to be as good in three mediums so it's not necessarily a great path to go down but I have enjoyed the experience because each medium is different Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'm so glad you brought up that book you're working on, Tiny Wings, because I was I was actually listening to your recent interview on the Inspired Painter with Jessica Libor podcast. And on there, you mentioned you were working on that book. And I saw a Facebook post you did recently where you're showing one of the illustrations for it and everything. It's an absolutely gorgeous picture. So uh, oh, now I'm excited you. to see that once that uh, finally gets released and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're deep in the throes of the rough draft right now. We're we're actually following the framework in Chandler Bolt's book published. I don't know if you've come across it, but it's brilliant. If anyone out there is thinking of hmm. writing a book, I thoroughly recommend Chandler's book published on just the the practicalities of getting through the process. So yes, we're we're deep in the rough draft, and I have to say it's been quite exhausting because it was a <laughs> challenging part of our journey trying to figure out what was going on with this kid. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'll have to look up that uh that book you mentioned too because um yeah, I I eventually want to write my own book one day as well and I I know it's a very daunting task as well, but um yeah, long story short, I want to run a marathon in all 50 states and slowly I've been kind of documenting each state and writing about that and I kind of want to collect everything and turn it into a book once I awesome. complete that goal, but yeah, it's uh yeah, so, it's, it's it's a lot it's a lot of work ahead of me both in terms of actually running all these miles and coordinating the logistics and doing all that and actually writing the book. But um, especially yeah, when I got... we get you painting, you know, and, and packing that yeah. backpack with your outdoor plenty of gear and you know doing some watercolors mm-hmm. on the side, it's it's going to take you a while. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh definitely. Now, um, and I know you're you're currently based in Melbourne, Australia. Now, do you primarily coach individuals in Australia, um, around the world, or do you do retreats or events in primarily in Australia or in other areas, or how does that all work? I have done all sorts of things, and at the okay. moment, um, <laughs> I've gotten really, really focused because part of my wiring is that I'm an artist, but I'm also a teacher, and really mm-hmm. that 
that gift, that drive, that love of breaking something down, making it simple and sharing it with someone else, hacking a path through the jungle and making it easier for the person coming behind me, that just comes mm. naturally. And I've discovered that that's even a stronger drive than the artist in me. So being able to combine those is such a joy for me. So I'm primarily focused on my 90-day coaching program, The Profitable Artist Method. And I take artists through a really simple framework of setting up a business and a marketing system so that they can sell their art and stop believing the starving artist myth and realize that <laughs> real artists are entrepreneurs and they thrive, not starve. So that, that process I do, it's a group coaching program, but there's a lot of one-on-one -on -one in that and I do that via Zoom. So I can work with clients all over the world, which is really nice. And in the past, mm. I, I've done art retreats. I've taught art classes uh, and I've done some of that in large groups, workshops. The art retreat I really loved because it was three days being able to be immersed in a beautiful country hotel here in a, the Yarra Valley, which is a wine growing region. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm a bit nuts about 1850s in terms of history. I just really love that time period. And it's a really old country hotel. And we don't have a lot of really old in Australia. We're a young Western, westernized country from the traditional owners of the land. We have a really long history. And I, I got to enjoy some of that as a kid too, living up north. I think that's part of where my love of landscape comes. Just that going bush every Monday with the Aboriginal aunties and being taught Aboriginal culture, how to make bush tucker and all that sort of thing really instilled in me a connection with the landscape. So I love doing that too. But mm -hmm. this, this retreat was more uh, pure you know, Jane Austen indulgence. And it was really <laughs> exciting to take women through this journey of look this there's not just one way to make art there's so many different ways what do you like let's start with who you are what's important to you what kind of personality do you have what colors do you love what colors do you hate what kind of art appeals to you and let's start there and then figure out the tools that you need to learn and use the skills you need to make that kind of art because there just isn't time to make every kind of art I try but <laughs> there really isn't <laughs> so focus is really really helpful and out of that just watching women do what I had done which is learn to paint and then realize I don't want to be here in this admin role doing a job I want to be doing what I love doing full time and so I was mm -hmm. determined to find a way to do that and I did thankfully but mm. I really love helping people step over that threshold of going okay I'm loving my painting but I'd also like to make some money doing something I love how do I do that and that's mm. what the profitable artist method is all about. Oh, that's awesome. And, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that little tidbit about being an admin manager and kind of having that realization of being like, you know, I, I really want to focus on my art and, and doing this more full time. So was there a specific moment, I guess, to where you realized, hey, I want to make that leap and focus on art full time? Yes. And it grew. It was it was always there, I think, in that I feel like I had an early midlife crisis when <laughs> I'd been homeschooling my kids for about nine years and it was time for them to go to school. And I took six months off and thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to paint. It's going to be great. In the end, it turned out I was just completely exhausted and needed six months to pull myself together. Mm -hmm. And then it was time for me to get a job. So at the time, I wasn't qualified to do anything I was really passionate about. And I felt really frustrated. Fortunately, I came across a book that encouraged me that the second half of our life can be really fruitful because we know ourselves better. We've got more skills. We've got life experience. And that really gave me a lot of hope. So I got over my early midlife crisis at 34, <laughs> <laughs> took on this admin role, which was actually a lovely family company. And I didn't know it, but 
all of the business skills that I learned in that role. I did a diploma of business management while I was there and I worked Mm. in reception and admin and finance and just learned the basics of, of business really. So I'm painting on the side thinking I want to be doing this more, doing the math, trying to work out how to do it. And I went to see a friend in the art world and said to her, how do I, how do I make this happen? And she said, I think you should use teaching, which for me was great because I am a teacher. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I don't actually advise a lot of people to do that anymore, but if you're a teacher, it's a great plan. So I did some math, came up with a plan and started to pursue it and I talked to my husband one night and said I'd really like to do this and he looked at me and he just said yeah I can see that that would probably work for you and eventually I think you're going to get there and just the fact that he believed that I could do it really spurred me on to go right Mm -hmm. we're going to make this happen it was building up to that for a long time and then just deciding right okay later we had a conversation and agreed that as soon as I could replace my salary I would walk away from my job and do this full time so it took me about Mm -hmm. 18 months to ramp things up and then hit that magic number so that I could walk away oh that's that's awesome and and it's good that you had that little safety net there to where you're like okay once I'm able to replace my salary then that's my sign to step away and and focus on it full time and no I and I like that you recognize too that there are different aspects that you can take away from a traditional eight to five job or what have you that you can apply towards you know what it is you really want to do in life if there's something else you're really passionate about you know maybe the business aspects of that admin role or something along those lines to where you're like okay I can apply this into what I'm trying to do and take these skill sets and I think everyone can sure. essentially learn something from that. I think more of the stories, you can, you can learn something from pretty much every experience. You really can. Even mm-hmm. I, I was working for a while in that role on reception, and I, I did not love being a receptionist. But <laughs> you actually learn to modulate your voice and cut mm-hmm. the waffle a lot, which is great for doing podcast interviews. I mean, who, <laughs> who knew? Oh, no, so true. I actually write a funny story. Right after I graduated college, I got a job as an insurance agent and thought that was going to be my big adult job and everything. I, I did it for about two months. But ever since that job, I've been really good at leaving voicemails and just kind of having a pleasant phone voice. Uh, so yes. hopefully that carries over to podcasting as well. So if there's anything I took from that experience, it uh, helped out my, my voice well, in the, in the airwaves there. Yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah, I've taken a look at uh, some of your work on your website and I noticed, yeah, it's very earthy and nature-based. So I imagine you primarily do a lot of landscape paintings then. Yeah, anything to do with nature. I love landscape, particularly Mm -hmm. water reflections and sky. My idea of being out in the landscape is that there's no one else there. Well, Mm -hmm. I might take my husband. (laughs) You know, we love to walk. So actually we hiking and not huge hiking but just you know going for an hour's walk or something in a beautiful place is our idea of fun but Mm -hmm. I've always liked I think maybe that traveling as a kid around Australia with my parents we always liked the places where we were the only ones there so my landscapes Mm -hmm. don't usually have figures in them because I love that feeling of just being alone in nature Mm -hmm. with a wide open space and I lived on the Murray River which is the huge river that divides two states here Victoria and New South Wales and so I spent several summers as a child skiing and swimming and playing around in the water it's quite warm in Mildura so I had a real Mm. love for the river so the reflections there are a big part of what I like to paint but I also like the little details I love flowers I love birds and of course doing this tiny wings series Mm -hmm. that that all came out of as you probably know lots of kids on the 
autism spectrum don't speak Mm -hmm. very much. My daughter spoke, but she didn't offer an insight into her, into her world. And, Mm -hmm. but we did love to read that came easy to me. And so I passed that on to her and for her, thankfully, she learned to read easily. So books have always been our thing. We borrowed a book when she was five that illustrated the hymn all things all creatures great and small Mm -hmm. so all things bright and beautiful all creatures great and small all things wise and wonderful the lord god made them all he made you know each little uh, flower that opens each little bird that sings he made their glowing colors he made their tiny wings Mm -hmm. so we stopped we'd been reading this book day after day and then one day we put the book down she went outside to feed her budgies and she stopped and said look mummy tiny wings and there was this little lace wing moth on the door and I, it sounds like such an ordinary moment. Most kids say, you know, look, mummy, 10 times a day until their mothers mm-hmm. are just like, oh, just leave me alone for five minutes, would you? <laughs> but this kid had never done that. And mm-hmm. she's five. So for me, it was just a, an earth shattering moment of connection. So we went looking for tiny wings after that. And we have these beautiful little birds here called fairy wrens that are bright blue and black and just really gorgeous. They make tiny tinkling bell-like sounds they don't really make big bird calls Mm -hmm. and so we went looking for them and for butterflies and anything that had tiny wings so I have enjoyed painting those small details too Oh, that's so cool. And that's such a powerful story. I, I can I can completely see why that would be such an impactful moment for you and would ultimately inspire you to, to write a whole book on it. So that's yeah. oh, that's a fantastic story. Now, I, I guess addition to the the destinations you mentioned previously, because I, I get the, the vibe that you're a traveler yourself. Now, have, have there any been any other distinct, I guess, destinations or anything in all of your travels that had an impact on any of the things that you would paint maybe outside of Australia? Is it primarily in Australia, would you say? Oh, a couple, a couple more places are really important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, right out of high school, I went to West Africa and I spent, it was supposed to be six months, it ended up being a year, teaching kids <laughs> to read. And mm-hmm. while I was there, I met my husband, who's American. Uh, he'd mm-hmm. come from Hawaii. And we had a couple of months overlap in a small town where we were working. And of course, the expatriate community all sort of know each other. So we fell in love in that eight weeks or so that we were in the same town. And then he followed me to Australia and we got married. We lived Mm -hmm. in Texas for a year and he grew up in, spent most of his teens in New Mexico. So about seven years ago, we went back there and that was just stunning, that high desert landscape. I loved it. So I've done a few paintings of that area and we went back to Africa together So the second time we worked in Nigeria again, we worked with Mm -hmm. uh, missionary kids and he was basically youth pastoring them. And then we moved over the border and we worked with nomads and we lived in a mud village. Our first daughter was born during that time. And we, these nomads lived just on the open sand, moved every three Mm -hmm. days. And so we would travel, take our four wheel drive and go out and stay overnight in their camps. And it was such an incredible time. I haven't done a lot of paintings. I have done one painting of a Wadabi woman with a newborn baby from a photo that my husband took early one morning. This tiny baby was about five minutes old and his mother had given birth. They didn't even realize she didn't make a peep. It's very Wadabi not to make any noise. I don't know how they manage it. But yeah, I've done one a, port, a double portrait of these two. It actually ended up on the cover of the Melbourne Anglican newspaper a few years ago on their Christmas oh, wow. edition. 
but I haven't explored a whole lot of the African side of things in my painting. I've thought about it, and I may I may do that at some stage. Um, mm. So mostly it's been Australia. But that time in Africa was really significant for me, in, almost in a negative way as far as my creativity goes, because just living where life is harsh and mm. a lot of women were faced with basic chores, collecting water, feeding their kids, trying to keep the kids alive. Life seemed pretty stark. And mm-hmm. foolishly, I was very young at the time, I made the decision to set aside my creativity, thinking I was just going to focus on what was really important. And I had mm. no idea the mental health challenge that that would be for me. And it mm. wasn't really until we came home and I started to recover from that extreme living situation. It was like 50 degrees, um, mm. all the prenatal, uh, postnatal stuff um, and this neglecting my creativity. I really had some recovery to do. And mm. I slowly started to realise, wow, being creative is really fundamental to my humanity and it doesn't just affect one part of my life. It's not even just about making paintings. It's making space to enjoy this part of who I am, whether it's making a garden or making a quilt or painting or cooking or you know whatever your passion might be. Mm. I can't neglect that without neglecting myself. And that, that was a really profound change for me. Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm I'm so glad you recognize the importance of still pursuing these creative pursuits, even if it feels, I guess, self-indulgent or, or anything when you're in these different living situations and everything around you may appear stark. I, I think it is very important to still pursue those things because it's, I mean, it's part of what, what makes us human. And I think there's a spillover yeah. effect there and just makes us, I guess, much more I guess, emotional, self-aware. Um, there are a lot of emotions and, and things that carry over in other aspects of life that are outside of maybe that simple act of painting or pursuing something creative. So I'm, I'm really glad that you made that realization. Oh, me too. Yeah, very, just absolutely <laughs> life enriching. And it doesn't matter what industry you work in. Continuous improvement is just an essential, isn't it, to make mm-hmm. things work. We're, we're just wired that way. Our brains come up with solutions. And mm-hmm. recognizing, number one, that you are creative because you're human and then that you have a responsibility to develop that creativity. It's really interesting. When you do creative things, your brain starts to build these neural connections and they can feel really uncomfortable when they're being formed. We all know that. Mm-hmm. You try writing your name with your left hand if you forgot how weird it feels to do something <laughs> you're not good at. It feels terrible, or unless right. you're left-handed. Uh, just swap hands. Yeah. But once you've got through that discomfort of doing the new thing or discussing the thing you don't know anything about, then that neural connection can be strengthened with repetition until it becomes like two threads and then three mm. and then a whole bundle. And so the information and the, the doing becomes so much easier and faster and we can just do more and more with less and less effort. And we've, mm. we've felt that learning to drive, learning to do our job. You know, the first week in a new job just feels diabolically overwhelming. And then within six weeks, it's like you've been there forever. Our brains adapt and that mm-hmm. process of developing creativity transfers. So if you've built up skills with a hobby or a particular job role, it's like going to the gym and building up muscle. The speed in your metabolism and your fitness is going to be there for whatever you do 24 hours a day. And the creativity mm-hmm. is kind of like that. When you develop it, it's there 24 hours a day for whatever you're doing. And so that process of pushing through discomfort to do something new bringing together 
varied ideas and things that don't seem to belong together to make unique mm -hmm. solutions, that's a skill. And creativity gives you that. It helps you develop that. And then you can use that in whatever your role is. And I, th I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, no, I would agree completely. And I, I like what you said there, too, about just kind of getting out of your comfort zone, doing something unfamiliar to yourself. And then as you get doing that more and kind of getting your in that more uncomfortable, being in that uncomfortable environment, you eventually get more comfortable with it. You push the envelope a little bit more. Maybe you get better at it. You get more efficient. You get faster. And it just kind of almost rewires your brain into thinking, OK, what can it I does. tackle next? And then maybe you'll take on something even more ambitious next or something. But it's yeah. yeah I'm a I'm a, a a huge fan and, and big advocate for for all of those things honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting and I think that's where art and business meet beautifully. My husband's a lean mm -hmm. specialist. So lots of Friday nights having a drink talking about the week, our two worlds of art and business have constantly met. And it's been so interesting to see the overlaps that when people develop their creativity, they're actually pushing through discomfort, the discomfort of something new. And that's what he's doing with organizations who are, you know, implementing a Lean Six Sigma program or any kind of continuous mm -hmm. improvement. They're having to overcome the natural human resistance to the discomfort of doing something new. And if you mm -hmm. can help people, I mean, really, what to do that, they're tapping into their creativity. But if 50% of the population don't think they're creative, they're not, they think they haven't got the goods to do it. No wonder you're not getting buy-in on your continuous improvement mm -hmm. program so if you can actually help people recognize you are creative and show them a mm -hmm. way of developing that creativity then you help them tap into what Michael Gelb says is the most distinctive trait of highly creative people and that's mm -hmm. the ability to deal with confusion endurance you know, mm -hmm. persevering with that really yucky feeling of I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing and I just yeah. I've, you know we've all felt that Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And I guess with the idea of development and self-growth in mind, and I'm sure you probably touched on a lot of these points already, but do you have any other advice for how painters can find their niche or the style they should be working in? Is it, I guess, through repetition and continuously doing it? Or are there other things you'd recommend, like exposing themselves to a wide variety of art forms? Or I guess, uh, what tips do you have for them? Yeah, th look, there's so many ways to grow and mm -hmm. looking at a wide array of influence is definitely part of you know growing as an artist and mm -hmm. I also think that understanding that focus and finding your path and that simplicity really helps you to be productive I like to talk about loving your limits and mm -hmm. I take people through some really basic questions of how much time do you really want to spend making art whether that's your hobby a hobby that makes sort of a side hustle income on the side or whether you want it to be your full-time income how much time do you want to spend doing that then how much money do you actually want to make? Then what do you love to do? And in the what do you love to do part, we dive deep. And I like it when people can really look at their personality, look at their life experience, look at the places that mean something to them, the ideas that mean something to them, and then mm -hmm. figure out which medium, which sizes, which subjects they're going to focus on. Because the more that you focus, obviously, the easier it is to improve. Mm -hmm. So once we've sort of concentrated the, the answers to those questions, you'll start to see where they overlap, the time, the money, the thing that you love to do very specifically. You'll start to see where they come together and out of that you can create your highest value offer. 
because obviously mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to sell $25, $3,000 products than $3,000, $25 products. <laughs> so using that principle, you can find somewhere in the middle to offer three sizes in your focused area at the mm-hmm. right prices. And there's a whole lot of, it's very interesting how much mindset resistance comes up in all of this so you expect that to be a growth process of saying I don't need a fine art degree necessarily I don't need anyone's permission I don't need Mm -hmm. art awards I don't need an external validation that I'm good enough if I'm Mm -hmm. making work I love if I've done the work to learn the basic skills and I'm committed to continuous improvement all I need is people who love what I do and want to buy it It simplifies the game. No, I I like what you mentioned there about kind of asking the big questions first and kind of working from there and breaking it down to smaller components. You know, how much time do you want to spend doing this? How much money do you want to make? And then breaking it down from there, you know, what creative pursuit do you want to pursue? What, what, um, What medium do you want to work in? And just kind of asking those questions and then working from there. So with that in mind, how will these painters know, because I feel like it's a fine line. Do you know when these painters will know when they're ready to start selling their art? Do they need to have a certain size following first or are there any other factors at play there? Yeah, it's a good question. I think if you know that this is something that you want to do, then there's a lot of value in building a portfolio and a business Mm -hmm. at the same time. And that can feel a little shocking, but When you're focused on the things you can control, you're not chasing awards, you're not chasing gallery representation, things that you have very little control over, but you're owning your artist entrepreneur self and taking that seriously, then when you build the business and the portfolio together, it really brings a lot of clarity. So once you've got clarity on what you want to do, I then look at the creativity. So how are you bringing something from idea to completion? And when you've got this plan, you know exactly, you've got your clarity on what your highest offer is. It brings a lot of focus in the studio. So you can then create exactly the kind of work that you're going to be marketing. And realizing then the third piece of connection that sales and marketing, they're not something that's uncreative. It's just an extension of your creativity, Mm -hmm. figuring out how to sell and market your work. And I tell people that you don't have to like Sam, but Sam can help you sell. You need to get to know (laughs) Sam, sales and marketing. And because you're a creative person, you can apply those same creative skills to learning how to market your art. So I teach artists how to do that in a really strategic way way when they know they've got their focus for the studio of what they're creating those highest value offers I teach them to create four collections a year and to build a marketing ecosystem so a standalone website an email list and a social media presence that website will be an e-commerce website and Mm. I show them how to tell the journey of creating this work to build a following to get people onto their list and then to present that collection and sell it At a specified time, you're really working with people's need for novelty and familiarity. So you're figuring out what you're going to make, what you love to do, and who else would love that? Who loves what you do? Who's from the same area? Or, you know, maybe you're into a beach vibe. Okay, where are the beach people hanging out? Where are they hanging out online and in person? And you go looking for that audience knowing you're not trying to talk to everybody. You don't have to have the approval of everybody in the art world. All you're talking to are your ideal customers. And Mm -hmm. so getting that focus can be really helpful and it can mean that you can have both artistic and financial success much earlier 
because you've gone about it in a very strategic way rather than chasing all the things that people tell you you should chase as an artist to prove (laughs) that you're ready or to get you know have a gatekeeper open the doors no you're just owning that yourself as an artist entrepreneur and getting on with not feeling ready but getting ready yeah definitely no those are all really great tidbits of advice for sure now out of curiosity what do you think is the biggest misconception in the art community I think there's a few and Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I think probably one of them is carrying around this idea that making money making art is really hard artists starve Mm -hmm. you know the whole thing Mm -hmm. and almost celebrating that the suffering artist so Mm -hmm. if you can recognize that that's a myth and yes art life is different because unlike many other careers you don't walk away from training in art and walk into a job where someone pays you to make art that doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. so recognizing that if you want to be an artist you're going to be in business and that's going to take about 50 percent of your time that can be mm-hmm. a bitter pill for people to swallow but when they realize actually it's a really lovely creative loop writers mm-hmm. don't write for themselves generally they write for readers and so there's mm-hmm. a lovely feedback that comes and it's the same with art art is made to be viewed it's a conversation of sorts so if you can celebrate the marketing as part of the conversation around your art then i think that's a helpful misconception the starving artist myth moving into a healthy perception that actually this is a business and that doesn't diminish our creativity there's a humility that says being an artist is special but it's not that different than any other trade I'm a human and I'm doing the work I was wired to do and I'm bringing value to the rest of humanity and that matters. And I don't have to be so special that I don't need to touch sales and marketing. It's, um, it's all part of my lifestyle. So I think that's a big misconception that I would like to adjust and um, mm-hmm. that's the focus that I take. The second one I think is around the getting ready thing, that I need someone else to tell me how to get ready or I need to be able to create every kind of art to be a true artist when you mm-hmm. don't you only need to be able to create create the kind of art that you want to create and you can build those skills with or without qualification that's not the point the point is do you like the art you're making on one level you'll probably never be fully satisfied because that urge <laughs> for continuous improvement is always there but as soon as what you're painting is appealing enough to others that they want to buy it you're on your way and you would be surprised how often that happens i when i was teaching tuesday night classes to adults teaching them how to paint in oil i would i have started telling my students how to sell their work earlier and earlier and earlier because i was having newbies with their first and second paintings and people going oh i want to buy it and then they were falling into all sorts of self-deprecating awkwardness mm-hmm. and so i had to teach them hey you're learning to paint you're an art ambassador have some respect for the person who loved what you did Mm. and let's have this conversation in a way that's healthy. And it was really interesting just to work through that process of of readiness. So that's a long answer to a short question, but I think there's a lot (laughs) in the misconceptions that I'm a bit of a crusader for 
tweaking. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there are so many different misconceptions to choose from. So <laughs> you definitely yeah. have no shortage there. But no, those are all really great tidbits. And yeah, and I love what you mentioned, too, about never really feeling satisfied, I guess, because uh, we're all our own worst critics. And I, it's, yeah. you know, something I deal with just when it, in a different way in terms of just podcasting or anything that I write to where I'll just keep editing it or saying, oh, it's not ready yet. I need to do more research. I need to edit it more. I need to you know, double check my facts or what have you. But eventually being able to step away and say, nope, uh, this is it. This is a finished product and releasing it out there is is huge. And I feel like it's a lot of creative people struggle with that too. Because I mean, yeah, I I think every every painter and every artist that I've interviewed, whenever I'd ask them, (laughs) you know, do you ever know when a portrait is done? Are you ever able to step away? They're like, oh, that's so hard. That's something I struggle with. I, you know, I'm always fine tuning things and it never feels done. And that's just a a common thing that they, they all report. So (laughs) I forget who it was that said paintings are never done. They just stop in interesting places. I did some digging and Paul Gardner is the one who's known for that quote. In case you were curious. Anyway, Back to Fiona and I's conversation. Oh, I like that. <laughs> it's a great motto for the that's done a, is better than motto. perfect Yeah, process. Um, <laughs> I think, too, one other misconception that's worth talking about is mm-hmm. that beauty matters. There is definitely an idea out there that somehow beauty is twee and, or cheesy or we've moved beyond that and that ugly is more meaningful. And I don't buy into that at all. At all. I feel that beauty really does matter. And so if you're painting or drawing and you've picked up a vibe that somehow pretty art is ridiculous or beauty is less meaningful than something that's really out there, really confronting, even ugly, Mm -hmm. there's something more contemporary and powerful about that, we've moved beyond beauty, then I would say that is an opinion And there are many artists who don't hold to that. And there are many humans who don't hold to that, who don't want something (laughs) ugly and confronting on their wall. But they find an incredible amount of meaning and consolation and mood that they're able to put on their wall that adds to the aesthetic they want for their home. I don't know many families who don't want joy and a sense of tranquility in their home, but who actually Mm -hmm. want confronting crazy nightmare creating stuff on their wall (laughs) so yeah i would say that beauty matters and it is not outdated or old-fashioned to create beautiful realistic work that's probably the number three on my Mm -hmm. um mindset things or beliefs or that i'm crusading against oh exactly it's it's so interesting to me because yeah i mean to your point you can have something to where someone someone may find a piece of art maybe it's not their thing or something like that but then someone else may really gravitate towards it you know just it it really fits the aesthetic of what they're trying to go for for a room or just a mood they're trying to get and yeah art speaks to to everyone in different ways so you you never know who it's going to speak to that's right and so if when you speak in your true voice Mm -hmm. then that's going to have an audience. You don't have to appeal to everybody. There will be mm-hmm. a group of people out there who think like you do, who love what you do, and it's your job to find them. No, I, I couldn't agree more. So I guess once you reach that point to where you're satisfied with something, you, you release it as a, as a finished work of art, do you have any top tips for pricing artwork? I guess are there any costs that artists will typically leave out? Or I guess how does that whole process yeah. work for you? 
I think it, you can simplify it with sticking to three sizes and having a small, medium, large price. Mm-hmm. That can really help. And if your larger prices are around the two or $3,000 mark, you're going to find it a lot easier to make a business plan that's actually going mm-hmm. to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. And if you're struggling with the idea of putting two or 3000 on a larger work, then you probably mm-hmm. just have some mindset work to do. It's probably just a comfort zone thing. Stick up that big mm-hmm. canvas with a post-it note that says 3000 in your studio <laughs> until you get used to the idea. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's all that's <laughs> going on here. As far mm-hmm. as the nitty-gritty goes and the subtlety of who your audience are and what, what sort of work you're offering, there are costs that artists forget to add up. Not only just the business costs of you know maybe a website and your email provider and power and fuel, postage, mm-hmm. you know all those <laughs> sorts of things. Mm-hmm. If you're selling with a gallery or if you're selling in an art show, a gallery will take a 50% commission and an art show often about a 30% commission. So that's really going to affect your numbers. And if you calculate that on the front end, that's going to really make a big difference to how much art you need to make and what your profit margin actually is. And if you're selling privately, if you're selling directly to your collectors and in a gallery, you're going to need to keep your prices consistent because you want to have a win-win for you and the gallery. And they're not going to be thrilled if you know, they're selling your work at 3000 and you're suddenly doing this bargain basement thing on your website. It's not going to work. It's going to need to be compatible. So mm-hmm. working through that, looking at framing costs, uh, your materials costs, sometimes, you know, depending on how you're working, if you're not working in a super focused way, there may be a lot of work that you're creating that's not actually selling. And so that kind of waste of having art that's not moving, Mm. that's a cost as well. So the Mm. more honest you can be about all of the costs and the more organized you can be so you're not buying too much of something and not using it, all that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. getting organized can really help. And there you go. We've got another, a fourth mindset thing there that we we can tackle. (laughs) A misconception is that artists are messy and disorganized. No, 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 no. If you're going to be a successful artist, you are going to be organized and a savvy business person or you're not going to make ends meet. And that's Mm. not incompatible with the freedom and exploration of the creative process. They actually work together beautifully because I don't know any artist who wants to be in flow and not able to find that tube of paint. That'll that'll cut the flow faster than anything if you can't find your tools or you spend 20 (laughs) minutes scrambling for something. So I'm a firm Mm. believer in organization. How could I not be married to a lean specialist for 30 years? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Organization is so important. And no, you touched on some really great points there. I think being transparent, being honest with your costs, documenting things and really taking all indirect costs into consideration, direct costs and and marking that all up and just really getting out of your comfort zone and just saying, okay, like, because I feel like that's another thing that that creative people or, or creators deal with, at least from what I've gathered is that once they finally put their work out there, once they feel comfortable with it, they might be like, Ooh, I don't feel comfortable with that $3,000 price tag. That's way too much for this and everything. But but yeah, really just kind of getting out of that comfort zone, you know, being honest with costs and, and taking a hard look at things. And then, you know, you never know. I mean, as, as long as you, you're organized, you put all the, add up all your costs, put all that out there, price it accordingly and everything. And then you never know what can happen. <laughs> That's right. And once you've done the math and you've got, you've built this seamless buying experience for your 
customers where you're telling the story on social media, you're connecting mm-hmm. with your audience via email, you've got a way for them to sign up for that email list, you've got a mm-hmm. website where they can buy, you can send people a link to quickly purchase something and you're presenting collections of your work regularly where people know what to expect from you and they follow you because they like you. Every mm-hmm. single part of that process, including getting comfortable with your prices, is a skill. And you're going to mm-hmm. push through that confusion endurance thing we talked about where this feels really bad. You're <laughs> you know, breaking out of your comfort zone and building a new comfort zone. And that's where I think sometimes you really need someone in your corner to help you get out of your own way and give you permission to to do all these steps and that's really what I hope to do in the profitable artist method is come alongside artists and listen to what they want what they're saying where they're struggling and help them connect the dots to keep it simple and just get Mm -hmm. used to this new comfort zone Oh, definitely. And you mentioned it a little bit previously, too. So it sounds like you recommend having, you know, social media presence, custom website and email lists. Are are there any others in there that uh, you think every artist should should have any sort of certain platforms they should use? That's basically it. If you've got an email Mm -hmm. provider, because you can't just it's technically spam just to send out large bodies of emails to large right. bodies of people. Um, yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's You need to have MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or mm-hmm. something like that. But that's basically it. You can build a business very simply. The, uh, there are some other pieces such as registering your business. And here in Australia, you know, getting an ABN, setting up as a sole trader is very simple. You can go visit mm-hmm. your accountant and have the whole thing done in half an hour. Mm-hmm. If you're in the US, you can talk to an accountant or a lawyer and figure out whether you need an LLC or what the best setup for you Mm -hmm. as a simple sole trader is. Mm -hmm. And just making sure that you've got some privacy policies, website terms and conditions and some insurance. And that can sound like a lot, but really they are small tasks. And there are companies here in Australia, Duck for Cover is terrific for artists insurance you can take Mm -hmm. care of those things very simply and when you know what they are you've got a list and you've got some resources of who to go to to provide those insurance things those legal docs setting up your website it can be a lot simpler than you think and it's certainly simpler when you're not having to do it all on your own Oh, definitely. And and yeah, I definitely agree with all of those points. And yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I've actually filed a, an LLC and a nonprofit within the US and everything. And, and yeah, they are a lot easier to do than, than people would think. So if I can do it, yeah. anyone out there listening can do it. That's right. <laughs> and, Same and <laughs> so, Exactly. And yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, if you have resources at your disposal to, to reach out to, to kind of get some advice from, whether they, if they've done it before, or if they have any trade secrets or anything that they could share, you'd be surprised at how eager people are to share some of their secrets or lessons learned along the way. They're more than willing to open up and all that may cost you is just a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's uh no, I, I I agree with all those points for sure. So I guess in addition to your book, Tiny Wings, do you have any currently uh any projects or upcoming events currently in the works? Mostly just working on the profitable artist method and just reaching mm-hmm. out to artists who are wanting to turn their creative hobby into a business. That's really my focus and just mm-hmm. getting that message out and walking with artists through this journey of beginning their business or fine-tuning their business so it's not maybe their first rodeo it's not their first art sale but they're wanting to increase Mm -hmm. their art sales and for some people they've been doing that 
with brick and mortar galleries and they're realizing the world is changing and there's a whole opportunity online and so they're wanting to tap into that yeah that's really what I've been working on and for people who maybe are hearing that and going oh wow yeah that sounds great I've made a free guide the um, how to start selling your art that talks people through some of the things that we talked about today so if any of your listeners are thinking oh that's got me thinking um, you can find some helpful things in that guide that's on my website Perfect. Yeah. And I'll definitely make sure to plug everything in the show notes for it. So I guess wrapping off with, up with final thoughts and everything, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins and everything? I think we've done a pretty good job of covering my life. I like the way we've moved backwards <laughs> <laughs> All right. through the locations in reverse. <laughs> yeah. um, look, so, I could happily talk all day about painting, about art business and creativity. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think we've done a good job and I hope it's encouraging to your audience that you are creative. You're human. So go enjoy your creativity. And as you do, that's only going to enrich your life in whatever field you're working in. Yeah, perfect. No, I love it so much. Awesome. Well, where can people find more information about yourself, the Confident Artist Facebook group, the Profitable Artist Method, and anything else you want to plug? So you can find me on Instagram at Fiona Valentine Artist. You can also find me via my website, FionaValentine.com. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. And and like I said, I'll make sure to plug this in the show notes, but no, Fiona, once again, thank you so much for taking the time for this. Uh, I've definitely always had an interest in the, and the arts and the creative process of different individuals, but I feel like the business aspect of it isn't talked about nearly enough. And it's something a lot of creators can definitely benefit from. So yeah, I had a blast with this conversation. I had a blast chatting with you and I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future projects. Thank you so much, Eric. It's just a joy talking with you and yeah, good luck with the marathon in every state with your <laughs> Thank backpack you. of art supplies. I'm, I'm looking forward to <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, oh my gosh. I, yeah, so I just signed up for, well, I got three planned for the remainder of, of the year that I'm going to be doing October and December, and that'll round out the year. And then uh, after that, who knows? I mean, I'm sure I'm going to keep going at it. But if all goes according to plan, I'll be at 20 states. So I'm almost halfway done, which is wow. crazy to think about. But it's... It's been a wild journey, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a blast. It's been awesome. Um, it has not been very kind on my bank account, but I'm having a blast yeah. doing it. <laughs> so. so, what's your next state that you're going to? So, I, I got a pretty ambitious goal of doing a marathon back to back because I couldn't da- turn down a challenge. It's called the I-35 cool. Challenge, and yeah, it's uh, it's in Kansas. The f- first one is in Kansas City, Missouri. On um, it's it's I believe October. 15th and then one the following day i want to say about three hours away in des moines iowa on the 16th i might be a little bit off with those dates but yeah they're uh but one right after another over a weekend (laughs) i'm doing that and then i'm doing one in huntsville alabama in december which i originally was going to do last year but they had to cancel it due to inclement weather so um i'm traveling back down there to uh, hopefully the weather doesn't stop me this time but uh slowly but surely i'm knocking out the states (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good for you exciting <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm so excited but yeah no thank you so much and and yeah um wish you the best on your journey and um thank you hopefully my journey is smooth sailing as well i guess <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> awesome well you have a good rest of your day thank you you too Bye all right take care Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. 
Links to Fiona's website, socials, and other resources can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtaposed Journeys wherever you stream your podcast, And maybe tell a friend or two about the show. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and it helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, take a few minutes to fill out the questionnaire I have linked below. If you're a good fit, I'll be sure to get in touch with you to be featured on a future episode. I just ask that you have some patience, as I'm pretty backed up with interview requests at the moment. So thank you to everyone who's reached out and has expressed interest in being on the show. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by Kai Will. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.